Before we get into the show, a quick reminder to check out and subscribe to the Beer Edge podcast with Andy Crouch. Each week, he's doing deep dives into breweries, talking with journalists covering the beer space, and unpacking a lot of what makes the beer industry so interesting. Find the Beer Edge podcast wherever you download shows. Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall, and Brad Clark is just done with a barrel transfer day at Private Press Brewing in California, and he's here to talk about wood, memberships, stouts, barley wines, Munich wines, running, mental health, and blending. But first, an invitation to check out BeerEdge.com for articles, to sign up for the newsletter, and more. And head over to the This Week in Rauk Beer Facebook page and follow TW Rauk Beer on Twitter and Instagram for all kinds of smoked beer goodness. And we're able to bring you this show every week thanks to these sponsors, including NZ Hops. In a little country far down in the Pacific, you'll find a cooperative of master growers whose legend and cultivars have been crafted for over 150 years with creativity and passion to produce some of the world's finest hops. Years of partnership with a dedicated hop breeding program and farming knowledge handed down through the generations sees the current day master growers proudly providing 18 unique New Zealand hop varieties to the world. Visit nzhops.co.nz or find them on Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn at nzhopsltd to learn more. And we're also brought to you by Brees, the leading supplier of specialty malt to craft brewers. They offer the broadest product line in the industry, including a wide range of roasted malts that add flavor, color, and character to beer. Their experienced operators handcraft every batch of roasted malt to ensure the product you get is consistent. Check out brewingwithbrees.com for beer recipes using roasted malt. And the best brewmasters are obsessed with creating a high-quality, consistent product. That means reducing mass viscosity for better wort separation and increasing brewhouse efficiency. Ultrafull Max from Novo Enzymes help you achieve both. It's time to brew with enzymes, increase your brewhouse efficiency, and achieve faster filtration today with Ultrafull Max. Order a free sample today at brewingwithenzymes.com slash beeredge. Last week, I was finishing up some blind review panels for Wine Enthusiast magazine, and it was focusing on barrel-aged beers. And there's a lot to enjoy, but one in particular on this particular weekday morning stopped me dead in my tracks, and it was a barley wine blend from Private Press. Private Press is the newest chapter in Brad Clark's brewing career. In 2005, fresh out of Siebel, the brewing school, he co-founded Jackie O's, a pub and brewery in Athens, Ohio. Working as a brewer and rising through the ranks as the company grew from a few hundred barrels a year to more than 10,000 barrels a year. And along the way, his recipes were lauded, they racked up awards, and inspired a new generation of brewers who came up behind him. And then in 2019, he announced that he was leaving, moving west to be closer to his partner, and that he'd be starting a smaller brewing operation known as Private Press. Two years in now, and he's making about 100 barrels of beer a year, which go to members who signed up early, taking a chance on his stouts and barley wines, and then some others who made it onto a wait list and eventually into one of the one of 700 spots available. No taproom, no distribution, just him with the occasional help and the barrels and stainless. There are benefits to going small, he says, and a change of scenery and a change in life 
namely fitness and mental health clarity, have led to the creation of at least one new style, the Munich wine, which his members will be able to taste next week for the first time, but you'll hear about in a moment. The beers, like the one I had for the magazine, are purposeful, and they're more than just a liquid. They're crafted to tell a story, and they're an expression of a brewer who wants to make big, boozy beers for adults, not just necessarily candy adjuncted ales. And that shows in the taste, and it also shows in a career that has honored the past, but is continually looking forward. He spoke to me from the brewery at the end of a long day. And so we start there, and then we go deep into the wood and process and thought exercises and ingredients. And I can honestly say that this was a genuine pleasure to record. Here's our conversation. We're in this unique position today where we're recording this conversation mere hours before it's going to go out to, to the world. Mm-hmm. Um, usually I do it a couple of days in advance, but you know, since I have you and it's uh, yeah. after normal working hours out here on the East Coast and just about coming up on uh, after working hours out on the West Coast, what did you do at the brewery today? Um, I transferred uh, two new beers into uh, Bright Tank out of barrel. Um, so seven oak barrels went into each tank and uh that was the majority of my day. It was just kind of like shepherding beer out of oak into stainless. And uh, now I've got two tanks full of beer that will probably land in my members' hands in like December. I'm okay. a little bit like ahead of the curve right now, um, but uh, they're tasting good. And I'm excited to get a leg up a little bit on, uh, on my... Uh, on the rest of the year. So can, can you say what the beer is? Um, yeah, one of them is, um, beyond forever, which is, uh, a bourbon barrel stout blend that I then, um, add, uh, vanilla beans to. Okay. Um, so this will be batch two. I released that, that beer, um, in the first quarter of the first year of private press. So this year it's a little bit different. Primarily it's all rye barrels, um, trying to kind of like channel, um, my original feelings about, um, Goose Island, um, rye vanilla stout back in like 2012 or 2013. Um, that beer spoke to you that much, huh? Oh, it was awesome. I was, I remember I was at Siebel. Um, I'd been going to Siebel for years, but I was there for some like two or three day course and it landed and uh, I got a hold of, I think one of this, I want to say it was, was it Benny's maybe? Okay. Benny's. Um, and, and they. The big liquor two, store. Yeah. 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 They, they put two behind the counter and uh, <laughs> I was able to bop over there and pick those up. But I mean, that, that, that beer was just like, it just like, just blew your mind. Um, Wait, they put two bottles behind the counter for you, or they got two bottles that were behind the counter and you knew the secret handshake. Uh, no, I, I like called in and like reserved them or something. It's kind of, it's kind of hard to remember that. I mean, maybe it was 2011. I can't remember, okay. but it was, you know, it was, it was, it was back then. But, um, so I'm trying to once again to, to channel that energy. And this year I was able to put the, like put it together with all rye barrels, um, which is pretty exciting. And I've got a blend of, uh, let's see uh, Ugandan, um, Tahitian and Ecuadorian vanilla beans that will be going into that. So that's, that's one of them. 
And then the other one is a new beer called Chasm. And uh, it's a blend of uh, bourbon and rum barrel aged stouts. Um, and the rum barrels are kind of unique because they were uh, rum barrels that finished Templeton rye um, in them for about six months. So just those barrels alone had a more subtle rum character than if you were to get like a straight rum barrel. And um, then I just kind of built off of that with some Weller and Blanton's and Willet rye uh, barrels as well. So, um, and that one's just like full of like nutty, burnt orange, baking spice, chocolate, vanilla. It's a, it's a really dynamic blend. So um, things that I'm pretty excited about, but I'm like, like way, way ahead. Like I haven't even gotten the first release into my members hands yet. And I've got the second release in tanks, but this is, this is all part of the plan. So I'm feeling good today. Okay. Well, <laughs> I'm glad I got you on a good mood. That a lot of That's pretty good. You just, I, I mean, speaking of excited, you just opened up like nine veins of conversation and my brain is trying to ping pong right now as to where to go next. But um, I, I, I kind of want to stay with the Goose Island thing for just a second because mm-hmm. so much of, you know, beer experiences, I think for brewers are formidable beers, you know, things that spoke to them at a certain time in their career that they try to, um, not recreate, but like pay homage to, you know, and I, I often think of like, you know, what was it from Goose Island? Like Sophie was, or Matilda was the, the, the Orval clone um, or the Orval homage that they tried to do. Um, it's one of the, the sister beers. I can't, I can't fully remember, yeah, which yeah. One, but, um, but there are, you know, there's, there's beers that brewers taste at some point and they say like, damn, I want to make that, but I also want to make it my own. Yeah. When you're putting a recipe together before you start, you know, brewing a beer before it goes into, you know, stainless first and then wood and then back into bright tanks and before it goes into bottles, where do you start in the recipe writing process? Well, that's a great question. Um, so I guess we have to travel back in time a little bit. Um, you know, early on, um, when I first started brewing at Jackie O's, uh, in 2006, um, like dogfish head was a big inspiration to me. Um, and, and like the big beers from like Avery and the Belgian stuff from Allagash mm-hmm. and, um, a number of other ones, but you know, those were some beers that were in distribution, um, within the state of o- Ohio. Um, so that was a big inspiration. And then you had like shorts came out with their 750 milliliter series, which had a bunch of wacky beers using a lot of different adjuncts. Yeah. And that was super inspirational, obviously goose Island um, with all the bourbon County stuff. And when they started to expand that series, that was um, so exciting and beers like King uh, Henry, uh, which became, you know, bourbon County barley wine. Um, I mean, those are beers that like, me and some of my good brewing friends, uh, we just racked our brains on trying to figure out what was in those and what made them so special. Um, and then you had like the, uh, the uh, Planet series that um, Gabe Fletcher put out when he was at Midnight Sun. Um, just some really like groundbreaking, yeah. kind of, like conceptual um, type of beer making, right? Um, 
And so I got really involved with that and used a lot of different ingredients over my tenure at Jackie O's, um, played with barrels a lot, um, played with a lot of mixed culture stuff, um, sour beers, and um, it just kind of went on and on. Um, and it became, this, it became this really huge breadth of beers and beer styles. Um, and then uh, I came to a point where it was time to kind of move on. Um, primarily, uh, I had fallen, fallen in love and it was time to move from Ohio to California. More temperate and, weather as well. Yes, yes. Yeah. And, you know, and it gave me um, a, an interesting opportunity to kind of reset. Um, it gave me an opportunity to start my own um, brewery. And it gave me a lot of time to reflect upon what I had done and where I then wanted to go. Um, keeping in mind that I was in a, now in a state that has over a thousand breweries. I was in a smaller town yeah. Uh, or I am in a smaller city within California that has already 16 plus breweries in it. So, you know, how do you enter that market and add something to the brewing culture there without taking anything away? And through a lot of editing and revision, this members only type model, um, focusing on stouts and barley wines that, does not have a tap room, does not, you know, have anything on draft regularly, does not have anything in stores available for purchase, um, really started to kind of take hold because I wasn't taking anything away from any of the other brewers, um, be it tap handles or shelf space or tap room customers. But I was also able to add to the uh, Santa Cruz and Bay Area brewing scene um, with just a different business model and um, beers that have always been in demand, but um, largely under uh, like re uh, represented here in uh, California. Yeah. Um, so from that point, going back to your original question, yeah, um, it's always about, so how can I, how can I make something that's really interesting? That's really dynamic, but that also has um, nuance that has some grace that has, um, you know, some, some different elements to it. That's not just sugar or adjunct or, or like alcohol or like ABV. Um, and luckily I find myself, um, at a point, I think in the brewing world where, um, new and older drinkers alike are ready to go back to that. There is room for that counterpoint to what, you know, pastry stout and pastry wine and the super adjuncted <laughs> replicated, uh, yeah. you know, candy bar, cereal, whatever, chocolate milk drink, um, ice cream combo thing is. And um, I'm just trying to create really dynamic uh, stouts and barley wines and styles alike that uh, aren't hinged upon um, a bunch of other things. It's just a lot of it's beer and barrel focused. Um, so that's, that's kind of how I always start my quest. And, and 
those two styles in particular, the stouts and the barley wines, those seem to be the ones that impacted you early on as a brewer, as a drinker, but that really sort of speak to you and your creative pursuits these days. I mean, you mentioned when you were at Jackie O's, you know, you're doing sours. Obviously there's a whole bunch of other, you know, beers that were in the portfolio. It's a pretty large portfolio. Um, but when you're focusing now on this, you know, on private press, focusing largely on two styles, you have to be really into those two styles and really care about those two styles. Right. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, that was that I, I became a malt driven brewer early on. Um, it was primarily the hop shortage of like 2007 or 2008. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Like all I could get was Argentinian cascade, <laughs> which was like 3.2 <laughs> alpha acid. And like, that was it, you know, I mean, it yeah. was a tiny 300 barrel a year brew pub and, you know, obviously we don't have contracts or anything. So for a year straight, it was just ambers, browns, stouts, barley wines, reds. I mean, just stuff that some drinkers today have never even heard of. Um, you know, um, yes, and, kids, there was once an American red ale. Yes, it, yes, it roamed the land. Yeah, it did. Um, By the name know, of copper, George Killian. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, copper that's, ales. That's right. Yeah, yeah that was uh, yeah. that was like the regional dialect in the Midwest of. Yeah, uh, uh-huh. you know, we couldn't call it red because the commies were still coming to get us. But it's, copper, that's, that's yeah, right. we can. That yeah. is right. Um, so, you know, I, I I really became to like. I, I just love malt. Uh, there's so many different flavors and so many combinations and all of these great maltsters that have, um, you know decades, generations, centuries of, you know, history behind them. Um, and, you know, so I just really gravitated towards that. And the other thing I really gravitated towards was, was, uh, barrel aging. Um, and I just, I just love doing that. I love the process of making something that isn't going to its spot inside of a, a bottle or keg for another year. Yeah. And, um, and just the process of seeing it like, develop and oxidize and build character and then finding different, you know, components and, and, and barrels and things that they all kind of come together and they can form this, this unique beverage that, um, that offers the drinker something unique and hopefully exciting. And I still think that there's a lot of exploration and a lot of discovery that can happen just between beer and barrel and we don't need to always be putting you know coffee and hazelnut and marshmallow um into things i think that we uh i I don't know man there's a whole bunch of young brewers that are going to show up at your door with clubs in hand i know i know and i am in a unique position that i am not trying to sell a ton of beer you know i in my first club year i sold almost a hundred uh, BBLs, almost a hundred barrels. Okay. So, uh, very that's, da- that's down from what at the old place? Uh, it was, it was like 13 to 14 or something thousand. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. uh, so it, 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 it's very different. And, and, and so I am in a unique position. If I had a tap room, if I was trying to compete, if I was trying to move cans, if I was trying to sell stuff on shelves. Um, I would probably 
pivot to more sugar rich uh, flavor profiles, more adjuncts, whatnot. But the whole point of doing private press and resetting and restarting and all this was to create a business that I could um, that I could run instead of it running me. Also something that is sustainable and that hopefully I can do for the remainder of my working life um, because this is, this is what I love doing and this is what I want to do. So, um, and I've also now been working for myself for over two years and um, I want to continue working for myself. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, it's all about like finding that balance um, and creating this brand or this, this little world and having my member base and that kind of being it, um, that seems to be working right now. So hopefully I can continue to kind of mold that and craft it into something that, um, I can do, uh, you know, 15, 20 years plus from now. It, it, it's interesting. And to hear you talk about, you know, doing this for, the remainder of your career and, but it being manageable for you to do it. There is such a focus for so many years. And I think it's still there of, and I'm guilty of asking brewers this question in the past of, well, how, you know, cool that you're doing 13,000 barrels this year. You know, do you want to get up to 20? Do you want to get up to 25? Like I was asking those questions because it's yeah. sort of that American excess or, you know, the, 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 the bad idea of success of, you know, you have to be bigger in order to be more profitable and then ostensibly to be happier. Um, and I'm sure that when you were doing 13,000 barrels and, you know, you were, you know, well known in beer circles and going out to places and you could go to festivals and, you know, people wanted to show you their t-shirts and take selfies and, 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 and stuff like that. Going from a large brewery where, you know, and now you're just speaking to, you know, your members that are lucky enough to like snag a spot that's got to be a little bit of a whipsaw and it's got to be a little bit of not necessarily a come down, but, but certainly easier for the blood pressure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely, um, like people, I, I guess, I guess the question is like, people always talk about getting bigger, but what have you seen as the benefit of going smaller? Well, um, so my, so growth is, is not a goal for me anymore or currently it is not a goal. Um, sustainability, uh, as far as like quality of life is my goal. Um, and I'm not trying to make a bunch of money. Um, I'm not, I'm just trying to make like really good engaging beer and live comfortably. Um, but have something that like provides quality of life. Um, for me and for my family. Um, so going from something that was, um, that had gotten fairly large and it was in a constant state of, of growth, that was all extremely exciting. Um, that was all like just really fast paced. Um, it was, you know, once you sign with a distributor, then, you know, things really get moving and you're having these, um, you know, annual recaps and talking about the next year and, and all this stuff. But 
Um, and, and that works for, for a lot of breweries and I don't want to, I'm not saying that that's like a bad model by any means, but it is really fast paced and, um, and it does create some, some issues sometimes with like the amount of time you're working, um, the amount of stress, the amount of anxiety, uh, you know, your, your ability to exercise, take time off, uh, meal plan. Um, or just be like, go, 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 go constantly. Um, you know, those are all things that, um, I saw in my, my previous, uh, employment and, um, had a moment to stop reset and, and change, um, a little bit and kind of like refocus that. And so far right now that is working. Um, who knows something you know, could like happen down the road where private press doesn't work anymore. And, and, you know, and then there's a different angle, but, um, this has been an, an incredible move and transfer for me. Um, so I'm just trying to like maintain that. I mean, you, and, you uh, sound relaxed. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there, there's definitely, points where like so like this this week and everything and in the last week they've been kind of they've been kind of slow um and that's because pre-sales are coming in for member orders i've processed all my bottles i'm waiting on labels to arrive i can't you know sell anything until i can't do anything until you got the labels yeah yep and you know and like shipping companies and and logistics and everything are really all up in the air right now so uh, you got to really just kind of like tr- stop trying to take control of everything and just kind of let some things happen. Um, but, and, you know, I've gotten two tanks full of beer that I'm going to put out in November, or December. So like, you know, and how, how big are the tanks? Uh, oh, they're, was... like, they're like 10 barrel tanks. Okay. Yeah. Pretty, pretty small. Um, but, uh, but, inevitably that's going to speed up and then I'm going to have to ship out 350 boxes. And I'm going to have to have 350 people come for pickups and I'm inevitably going to get overwhelmed here sure. soon. Um, so there it's, it's different instead of it being like uh, a constant like race, if you will, or like this grind, it's like this, this, these waves of, you know, of like work or of wearing a, a number of different hats. Um, and so at times it's, it's really kind of relaxed and nice. Uh, but at other times it becomes very overwhelming and can produce a plenty of anxiety and, uh, and whatnot. Um, so, you know, I guess with this as well, it's also about like mental health and, you know, being able to figure out how to balance all this stuff um, aside from working a lot or, or like drinking more, which are things that people in our industry uh, tend to fall back on. Yeah. Uh, and so now that I'm in this different environment where I don't have to work all the time really hard or working more doesn't always solve all the problems. And 
and drinking a lot less, you're you experience things differently. And uh, so, I don't, I don't know how I got on this track. No, 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 no. I, I, I think this is actually pretty important. Um, and uh, so, you know, it's important that as as people within our industry are feeling these um, these pulls of anxiety or anxiousness that we find healthier tools to um, help us navigate those rougher waters. Mm-hmm. And um, that's what I'm doing now because I'm not working 50, 60 plus hours a week and not drinking as much. So I'm experiencing things differently. Right. So, you know, like talking to somebody uh, like a professional and finding um, different tools and healthier ways to navigate these difficult periods um, that are inevitable within our industry because it is so fast paced and it is so consumer and market driven um, and volatile at times, yet it's pretty, uh, you know, it kind of always bounces back, but, you know, you have to pivot and you have to roll with the punches and all that. And and after a while that really takes its toll. So I think it's important that um, people find time to like get away from work, to disconnect, to exercise regularly, to, um, you know, like bring a well thought out meal to work as opposed to just eating fast food or something from a grab and go. Um, All these things add, add up into something that is healthier. Um, You know, like for me, I run a lot now. I've lost, I've lost about 50 pounds since I moved to California. Great on you. Thank you. About two and a half years ago. And during those runs, I flush it all out, whether it's business stuff, personal stuff, everything. I, I, I flush it all out. And, um, and previously how I would do that was probably like, um, you know, a six pack of beer or something after work. Yeah. And I can do all the same things. I can talk to myself. I can be uh, sad. I can be angry. I can be happy. I can do all that. But I'm doing it through exercise, um, and you know that's 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 my hour every other morning or so, and then I go into work. Now I'm I'm in a position where you know I make my own hours and all that, so that might be a little easier for me. But I can't tell you how much more beneficial that is to sustainability, quality of life, and navigating these ups and downs throughout the beer industry, whether it be beer or any other type of job, especially during the pandemic. So, yeah. Yeah. I'll have more with Brad in a minute, but first a word from the folks who help keep the mics hot over here, including NZ hops, a cooperative of master growers whose legend and cultivars have been crafted for over 150 years to produce some of the world's finest hops. NZ hops are like no others unique in their flavors and aromas. Visit nzhops.co.nz to explore more. And Brees is proud to control their malt starting in the field until it arrives at your brewery. They have a long-term relationship with several hundred growers in the Bighorn Basin of Wyoming and Montana, where warm days, cool nights, and floodwater irrigation yield some of the highest quality barley in the U.S. 
And the best brewmasters are obsessed with creating a high-quality, consistent product. That means reducing mass viscosity for better wort separation and increasing brew house efficiency. Ultra Flow Max from Novo Enzymes helps you achieve both. Order a free sample today at brewingwithenzymes.com slash beer edge. And now back to my conversation with Brad Clark of Private Press Brewing. I want to talk about membership in a moment, but before that, um, God, you just keep creating all these these uh, veins of conversation. But the I want to go back to barrels and I want to go back to wood. Mm-hmm. And early on, you mentioned um, I think uh, Templeton Rye, and you mentioned um, some others that that have sort of you know popped up. And you mentioned specific brand names of spirits that had previously been in the barrels. Yes. How, how important is that actually to That's the beer that you're making? Yeah, um, so I've, I've worked with a ton of barrels over the last uh, 14, almost 15 years. Um, pretty much every one of them has made good beer. Um, if, if the beer wasn't great, it was probably a packaging issue or, or a blending issue or a QC issue. Um, you know, no matter what it was, it made great beer. Um, but at the same time, um, I think it's more interesting to have, well, at least for private press, my, the whole way I approach things here is I make a batch of beer. Now that might be a 10 barrel batch, or it might be a 20 barrel batch or a 40 barrel batch, depending on what brewery I'm brewing. at. And every one of those beers goes into at least two different types of barrels, if not four or six. Now that could be six different types of, of bourbon. It could be, you know, some bourbon, some rum and some port, sauternes, brandy, whatever. Um, but I'm taking a single recipe and then extrapolating it out as far as I can. Um, and if it's like six different types of bourbons, what I'm talking about is more like trying to purchase uh, weeded rye, uh, four grain, corn-based, all these different things. So from that one recipe, I can then have these four different subsets, which then create 16 different, what I call threads. And each single barrel is what I consider a thread. So then when it comes time to actually blend a beer, I try to know exactly what I'm looking for in my head. So if I say I want this you know, barrel aged stout that I'm going to add uh, vanilla to. I've got this flavor profile that I want out of the base stout, which is going to have a little bit of bitterness, maybe some roast, um, this and that. And I'm going to then go through all of all of the barrels that might work with that. Like nothing's off the table. It doesn't matter if it's young, if it's old, if it's even barley wine um, style, whatever. And then I blend towards it. So I'm pulling from all these different threads and weaving together this this rounded expression. And so for me, purchasing a lot of different types of barrels is essential to making the blending experience, one, more engaging for myself, but two, um, also making a, a a very dynamic beer um, 
that hopefully comes across that way on palette. It will definitely look that way on paper. Yeah. Um, but uh, hopefully, you know, having all these different components allows me to build complexity and depth um, easier than being like, you know, this is our imperial stout that we aged in this type of barrel for this amount of time. And that's our annual release of that beer. Right. This is what most breweries do. And that yeah. works out fantastic for, for most everybody. Um, but I'm trying to do something a little bit different here. And, you know, this is, this is my interpretation of blending and how these beer styles can kind of come together, you know, making four or five different stout recipes and, four or five different barley wine recipes and I've got quads and I've got this beer style called Munich wine that I'm developing here. Oh, tell me about that. Tell me about Munich wine. Munich wine is essentially kind of a subset of, um, barley wine. Uh, this comes from running in the, in the woods every morning. Um, this is where my best ideas tend to come, come to me when I'm flushing everything out. Yeah. Um, and I, I love Munich malt. I use, I have used Munich malt and a, a lot of dark beer, almost every dark beer I've ever brewed forever. Um, and so it's just this thing that I'm kind of like really drawn to. Um, this thing that kind of defines me as a brewer or like my style. Um, so I was like, well, there's wheat wine, there's, you know, oat wine, there's rye wine, but nobody makes Munich wine. Um, so I started developing this uh, new sub style or subcategory of barley wine. Um, and I, I, I grew it. There's a brewery right like next to me, uh, uh, Santa Cruz Mountain. And uh, I brew it there. I just bring a tank over and knock out straight from the brew house into a tank and then come over and then I pitch yeast in it and I ferment at my space. Um, but that's been the Munich wine research center and, uh, <laughs> the um, epicenter of, yeah, yes, yes. Um, so it's, a it's, it's, it's really interesting. The first one's uh, going to be landing in members hands here in the next, uh, week or so. Um, it's called a silent pursuit. It's this thing that I've developed, during the pandemic and um, there's a number of other brewers that are brewing them now, despite not having tried them yet. Um, that but, are also brewing Munich wines now. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. As far away as like Norway and Canada and Mexico. And okay. But you're claiming like you're planting the flag that like this was your idea and they are, they've heard about this now and now yeah. they're doing their interpretations of it. Yeah. Somewhat. And there's been some people that are like, well, you know, there's, there, there's a lot of brewers that use a lot of Munich malt in their Munich in their barley wines or 100% Munich malt for their yeah. barley wines, which, um, which might be true. It probably is. Um, I don't know if they, I've never tasted anything like what's coming out of here. Um, it is firmly kind of based around barley wine recipe, but it really presents more Germanic. And when, like, when you say that you don't like what's coming out of here, I mean, mean press. Okay. It, no, no, no. It, it doesn't taste like what's coming out. 
Um, okay. Which to me here is like almost like this like Bach English barley wine hybrid um, type thing. There's a lot of nuttiness. There's fruitiness. There's baking spice. Um, it's 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 dry uh, or it's drier than maybe what a lot of people are drinking right now. Um, so I'm excited to get this first one out so that it can, there can be some sort of definition around what it looks like, what it smells like, what it tastes like, what it feels like. Okay. Um, but at the same time, um, then it becomes the wild west and you know, well, yeah. And that's what I want to talk to you about. Like I was going to make a joke about Alex kid and his merry band of boofers and all that, but like it, it, you kind of hit on something that's much more important, which is you got me thinking about Kim Sturdivant. When he, you know, is credited with creating Brute IPA and yep. putting it out into the world, Absolutely. and it 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 didn't even make it past infancy in the larger world because nobody knew what the fuck it was, mm-hmm. and everybody had their own interpretations and a style that grabbed everybody's attention for a hot minute. I mean, like I wrote about it in magazines and things like that, but like, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a lot know, I had Pete, I had Pete Slosberg stop me at CBC. Yeah. Pete of Pete's Wicked stopped me at CBC. Oh, yeah. like, Have you Pete. tried, yeah. you know, Brute IPA from Kim Sturdivant? Like when it's rising to Pete's level, it's like, all right, we got to pay attention to this. Yeah, but I mean, like, it was in Pete's neighborhood though. I, mean, I, I understand. But yeah, like, yeah. you know, it's, he was jazzed about it. You know, he wasn't coming up to me and being like, Hey, when was the last time you had a copper ale? You know, like, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. fair enough. But, but is there a worry that something that after knowing what happened with Brute IP and how quickly it just got bastardized and the marketplace couldn't figure out what the fuck it was? And so, therefore, like, it just died. Is there a worry about releasing a style? Yeah, you feel passionate about to the world, of course. And of course. How, like, but how do you how do you are you thinking about how to focus that in? So like, there's generally accepted styles for New England style IPA or you know British barley wine or like anything else like that, which had a little bit of time to grow. Are you thinking about like how to at least put bumpers up in this bowling alley that you're? I don't know. I'm mix, I'm making, making bad metaphors now. Yeah. No. 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 I. I... I understand what you're saying. Um, you know, maybe, um, (laughs) to me, um, so I don't like policing things. Um, I like to just like, my job is to make beer and sell beer to put it like very simply. Right. And, and, and so, if I'm making this argue, you know, arguably new style or subcategory of barley wine, which is Munich wine, um, I'm, I'm not going to tell people what they can and cannot do. I've already seen how it's been interpreted in funny ways um, just because of this game of telephone and also being somewhat, somewhat silent or secretive about it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it the 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 overall style of Munich wine could could live. It could die very soon. Um, I I find it personally um, very singular and different, and I, I I really enjoy drinking it. So I am investing into making it for the next 
club cycle, which would be year three. We'll see if it survives past that. Um, you know, but right now the excitement around like the innovation of it and people being able to try something different is, is all really exciting. So why not just kind of go with it? Why not kind of help guide some of these people that are reaching out to me, maybe not guide some of them, um, depending on how much they're trying to mine out of me. You know, I always tell people like, I've done my work. It is now time for you to do yours. You know, so they're so focused on like replicating it that they forget that they also, because they are a brewer, they have license to, to put their own spin on it. And that's extremely important because if people don't take that liberty or aren't willing to, then you're just creating more and more of the same. And um, I think it's important to like invest in your time, in your process, in your uh, development and and finding a way to kind of like create your own style. Yeah. It, takes, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of practice. That's why you don't see a lot of barley wine out there. I mean, there are a lot of people making barley wine, but if you only make it once or twice a year, you can't tweak your recipe enough to get it to another level or to get it to, you know, your level. Um, and if you don't, you know, really tinker with things, if you don't taste barrels, if you don't blend often, if you don't practice, you'll never get to the point of, of, of being really good at it. You know, yeah. you've got to just constantly engage. You've got to focus. You've got to, you know, clear your head. But at the same time, you also have to be like aware and present because things are happening all the time around you. Um, and you never know when inspiration may strike, like when you're running in the morning and Munich wine pops in. And I've got a couple other things that have popped into my head that I haven't done yet. And I'm not going to talk about those. Okay. All right. I, I won't, <laughs> I, I won't press you. Cause like we've gone pretty deep into, uh, into Munich wine right now. Um, but you and, know, yeah. I'm really excited to see where it goes because Inevitably, somebody's going to make it darker. Um, somebody's going to put marshmallow in it. Right. Somebody's going to put going to double dry hop you know, it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've double barreled it. I've used, you know, I've I've got I've got a honey Munich wine going. You know, I've I've got a, I got a lot of ideas from Munich wine that I need to flush out. Yeah. And other people are also going to be flushing those out sooner than later. Um, and maybe it's just a flash in the pan. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, Kim was on the show and told yeah. me like he doesn't even make one anymore. He's at Pacifica now, and like, yeah, I know, yeah, at least at the time, there wasn't even on a right, yeah, uh, right up the road from me. Um, but I mean, for me, if Munich wine got as big of a splash as Brute IPA did, I mean, wow, that would be like such a such a rush. I mean, I think like you know, like Sam Adams made one. Um, you know, I mean, it, it, it like, okay. it, like it was like a new beer stardom thing, you know? Um, and, but that's not my intention either. My intention was just 
I just wanted to make a super Munich heavy barley wine because those are two things that I love and it made sense to me. So let's see what people think. The, 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 the flip side of it is people might not like it. Well, that's and, the other thing. I mean, it's, it's and, consumer you know, demand. Yeah. yeah. You know, my, my untapped ratings might drop because of Munich wine, but will that bother you? Really, no, no, it won't. <laughs> but that's a reality that a lot yeah. of consumers look at, you know, it, 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 Munich wine might be my lowest rated untapped beer. Um, but does that mean it's the worst beer I make? I don't know. I don't really care. <laughs> Um, well, again, you're making a hundred barrels a year though. And I mean, and you'll know in a week or so when your members get a chance to, to, to try this. And so let, yeah. let, let, let's talk about that of the membership model and mm-hmm. how there is, you know, a, a set number of people who yeah. have access to your beer. It's not like going to Kroger and, you know, a supermarket and, uh, you know, buying six packs or, you know, showing up at a tap room for like a big release day and multiple things. It's, yeah, you know, if you're lucky enough to get in, mm-hmm. you're in. And I think by and large, the people who are buying brewery memberships and trying to get into it are, you know, genuinely excited about being beer fans um, yes. and, and, and what they have the access to. So one, you know, why was the the membership model appealing to you and to now that it's in practice how has it been going yeah so the compelling part of it was that i could possibly make stouts and barley wines only um and that made a lot of sense to me one because i love making them they're my favorite styles to make and two because Santa Cruz and California and the Bay Area does not need another IPA, does not need another lager. There is so much good beer happening right now um, that it's just, it, you know, it's, it is saturated. So if I can just make these styles, I can't have a tasting room because that gets really complicated when you're serving stuff that's, you know, 12 to 15% ABV and that's all you have. Um, so that's where the membership thing really found its hold. Um, and luckily I had enough of a following that to be able to sell 600 memberships in the first year, uh, worked out great. Um, turns out 600 wasn't quite enough to really make it financially work. So this year it's 700. Uh, members. Hopefully that's enough. Um, and I think it will be. Um, and I say hopefully because if I need to do more, then it changes my entire, like, like I have to get bigger tanks and I have to get a bigger glycol unit and I have to get yeah. more space and I have to hire a full-time employee. Um, cause right now it's, it's just me and I do have a part-time employee, but he's kind of like as needed. Um, and he's an incredible employee, but he also works at a winery and they're in crush right now. So yeah, I haven't had him in over three weeks, but it works out great because I haven't really needed him in the last three weeks. Um, but so, you know, exclusivity is valuable right now. And I know that, and I remember listening to like Tommy Arthur, um, talk about, 
you know, these like hundred bottle release things. And, and, and this was years and years ago, oh, yeah. like fabricating exclusivity or like, you know, like keeping up markets and yeah. all that. And, and, you know, and at that time, that's when like Jackie O's, I think was coming from like brew pub into, uh, production, which was around 2013, 14. Sure. And, and I was, I was just like, we're just going to make the same great beer, but we're going to, we're going to get it out there to everybody. If anybody wants it, they can get it. It's not that hard. And, and that, and that felt, and that felt great at the time. And, but that also created a lot of work that, you know, that turned into having a barrel seller that was eight, nine hundred to a thousand barrels at any given moment. And, um, and it's just a lot of work. So this is all, this is, this all comes back to that thing that I said early on about, I wanted to have a business that I could run instead of it running me. Yeah. And that is paramount to what this business is. So, um, I hope that my current, uh, number of 700 members proves to be, uh, you know, substantial and, and, and works. And I believe that it will. Um, but I'm only in year two, so I'm still like, you know, figuring things out and tweaking things for sure and making mistakes and, um, learning a lot. So, uh, but yeah, on, you know, when it's good, it's good. And, uh, and, and when it's, when it's overwhelming or you have setbacks, it's it's really hard to deal with because it's such a small amount of beer and everything you know i'm you know i i work six 14 18 months ahead in my head you know so if if a batch goes bad and i don't realize that in time which hasn't happened yet knock on wood um that could really set me back you know if i have a bad bottling run that could really set me back. Um, yeah. So there's, there's a lot of risk involved with this business model. Um, but I hope that the, uh, the things that I've experienced over my 15 plus years, um, the ups and the downs are kind of mitigating some of, some of those setbacks. So of the 700 members that you have, if, if you're in, do you get to renew year after year or do you yep. bring in new members every year? Uh, no, I mean, if so, like for instance, uh, in year one, there's a 92% uh, renewal rate. Um, so there's like 30 or 40 members that didn't renew, um, which is, which is fine. Um, yeah. So I added, you know, 30 or 40 more, and then I added another hundred off yeah. of the uh, wait list. Yeah. Um, so the, currently the, the wait list is, is, is capped because it got quite large. Um, but, um, you know, once year two is over, I'm sure some people will say like, I don't know, you know, I didn't really like the stouts and he put out a lot of barley wines and I don't really like barley wine. So, you know, this isn't for me or whatever. Munich wine. Or he, yeah, yeah. Say that he put out too many Munich wines. <laughs> You know, the beers didn't, you know, catch enough money on the gray market. Well, uh, the, I wanted to ask you about that as well. Do you have any idea of, of your 700 members, how many are just flipping these things? 
Well, there's, I mean, there's definitely a few of them because, you know, I, people send me stuff, but like I said, I don't have the stomach to police this shit. Okay. Um, I do not want to be hunting people down and revoking their membership rights. And, you know, it's just part of the game and um, I'm not encouraging it. Please do not. Yeah, no. I'm working really hard by myself to try to make all this happen. Um, So just respect that if you can trade it. You can trade all you want. Um, But, uh, you know, um, yeah, like I said, my job is to make beer and to sell beer and I price it accordingly. And that's that, you know. As we start to wrap up here, I want to go back to two words that you mentioned early on with talking about nuance and grace. And I always love these sort of intangibles that brewers talk about, like when they know something is ready from a barrel to be transferred to bright tanks or, you know, when the liquid speaks to them in a certain way where they know it's their representation that they want people you know, to open the bottle and to you know drink it and not trade it and, and and all of that. But nuance and grace, what does that translate for you into the final product? Like, how do you how how can members or people who get a hold of one of your bottles, how can they experience that, or is that just personal for you? Um. So. Well, it's very personal for me. I mean, this this entire brewing project company is, um, so I think one of the more personal, um, like intimate beer expressions um, that are out there. And there's and there's other ones like me, of course. I'm not saying that I'm the only one doing this like membership only thing. Um, but for me, um, from from like the from from the copy, from the design, obviously from the blending and the beers and the names and 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 then literally, you know, the packaging, the labeling, the pasteurization, it goes on and on. It's all done by me. Um, so I take it all uh, very seriously. Um, and you know, I I make sure that I know what I want, and then I'm blend towards it. And when I'm blending towards it, that, that can turn into, um, you know, six to 15 different blends. And, and it's all about finding the one that like hits all the notes that I'm looking for, um, has, has, has a certain feel or life or zeal to it that, um, that I find comforting. Um, and the way that I try to express that to my members um, is through these inserts that come with each release mm-hmm. that gives you a more detailed description of the beer and the genesis behind it. Um, it gives you every barrel that was in it, the barrel number, the the beer that was in it in the barrel and the amount of time that was in the barrel. Um, and then it also gives you, you know, like ABV, uh, the carbonation, the serving, what I suggest the serving temperature should be, which is pretty much room temp. Um, okay. And, uh, and then there's another insert that then 
tells you about each beer that was in all the blends. Um, and they're all named after jazz musicians. Um, so it tells you a little bit about the jazz musician, just a sentence or two. And yeah. then it tells you a little bit about the beer, but it also gives you like the starting gravity, the finishing gravity and the ABV before going in the barrel. Um, so if you're able to sit there and enjoy a pour of one of my bottles over the course of, you know, 30 or 45 minutes, or maybe enjoy a bottle over the course of a couple hours, um, you can sit there and, and read about all this stuff. You can, you can read about the beers. You can, might be able to, you could, if you wanted to, you could listen to some of the music of some yeah. of the people that inspire these things. And that is my way of creating the private press experience. Um, as much as I would love to design and build and experience private press tap room, it inevitably uh, goes counter intuitive to what the business is um, because it creates more hours, more jobs um, and more beer. Um, so my whole thing is about being as transparent as possible with my members and giving them materials so that they can quote unquote kind of play at home. Um, this also includes sharing uh, lab uh, results uh, primarily around ABV and uh, extract and caloric data on every beer. Um, and there's just like, there's, 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 which, there's which is almost like the cardinal sin of the styles that you're making. Like I didn't, I didn't no, want to I mean, know get, what the caloric get, intake was, but I appreciated yeah. it when I saw them. Yeah. Well, it's about 40 calories per ounce. Um, and, and so if you're sharing, beers, that's cool. Yeah. yeah and, and my beers aren't that thick, if you will. My beers aren't that sweet. My beers are typically called medium to thin. Um, so, you know, if, if you're, if you're drinking the pastry stouts, um, I would not be surprised if that's more like 60 to 75 calories per ounce. Um, because, uh, yeah, it is, it is, it is kind of jarring at times, but I also think it's just important that, you know, people know what they're ingesting. You know, if I'm using honey, if I'm using nuts, if I'm using lactose, that goes on the barrel. That 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 goes on the bottle, despite how well, little. Well, nuts are important. I mean, you don't want to. Nuts kill somebody, are very important. But yeah, but honey and lactose is also very important for our vegan friends. And, yeah. And there are also you know allergies associated with both those ingredients, and whether it's a tiny tiny bit or a lot, it's going on the label, and people can, you know, read that uh, however they want. You know, sometimes I've put out stuff that has just a touch of honey in it. And there, it says brewed with honey. And people are like, so much honey. And there's hardly any honey in it. Or, you know, there was like one bag of lactose in a 20-barrel batch. And everybody thinks I, you know, or not everybody. A lot of people think I overdid lactose. And there was like, there was hardly any of it in there. What I overdid was, you know, malt um, extract. So, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a funny thing, but I think being transparent and like trying to make them feel like they are part of the process and that they can really pick apart the beer 
if they'd like to. Um, that's what makes this more interactive, more intimate, more personal, and that's what makes it successful as well. I've been asking some folks on the show for the last couple of weeks of, uh, I've been saying like during the pandemic, my wife and I were watching uh, The Good Place again. And, um, you know, just for sort of an escape from uh, the crushing realities of the world. And, you know, there's this whole concept towards the towards the end of the show of being able to go through a green door and being any place, anytime with whoever you want. Um, if such a thing existed in, in today's world uh, where, you know, travel is still not quite opened up and, you know, we're missing some things. Uh, if you could end this interview, um, yeah, which I'm sure you want to at this point, but you know, if you could end this interview and uh, walk through a door and be in any pub anywhere, uh, having a beer with somebody, where would you like to be? Who would you like it to be with? Um, I mean, I would just like go down the road from my house and go to the Sante Darius tap room in, uh, in Santa Cruz. And I would have one of their loggers, uh, next to my partner, Adair, co-owner of Sante Darius. And I eat some of the great food there. I mean, that is, that has, and it has become and has been my happy place ever since I moved here. Um, now there's a bunch of other great places that I've visited, but one thing about the pandemic and not traveling much and, you know, just kind of being locked in this routine is I've come to appreciate being home. I've come to appreciate uh, being with Adair, with our dog, Poppy. Um, just, you know, I've, I've come to appreciate just being here, yeah. where I am. And, um, and it's pretty great. Um, and I'm, I, I feel fortunate to be able to say that. And, you know, so... Of course, getting away is fun, but it's nice to be home. And yeah. what you have is also uh, a really incredible thing. And for me to be here, to be with uh, someone I care deeply about, and to be doing this new venture and to have it resonate with the members and with people outside of the membership. Um, this is, this is, you know, dream come true. So, um, I do not take that for granted. And, um, and I'm, I'm working very diligent, diligently to make this something that I can do, like I said, for the rest of my career. Um, so fingers crossed that that works. All right. Last question, I promise, because I want to bring it back to, to the beginning. Um, and that was very sweet, by the way. That was very, very, very nice. Everybody's like, oh, I'm getting on a plane and getting the fuck out. You're like, you're like I'm just going to go down the street and hang out with my love. And like, I, yeah. I, I, I love that. It's, it's, it's amazing and wonderful. Um, and now I'm going to crash this into the side of the mountain by saying <laughs> we started off by talking about a, a Goose Island beer that inspired you and that you were working on a beer today that sort of is an homage to that or, or you know, yeah. loosely based, et cetera, Hopefully. et cetera. If you inspired somebody back in 0708 during the hop shortage with your Argentinian cascade, oh my God. Um, what is your advice to that pro brewer that is out there right now uh, working with Argentinian cascade about making the best darn copper ale that they can just focus on the malt. 
<laughs> there is so much to work with. There hasn't been a malt shortage that I can remember. So just give it, you know? I mean, I don't even care. I mean, I, I don't say that I don't care, but like the hops that I use, like I, I, I don't spot buy, I don't contract. I don't even have hops. Yeah. When I go and brew somewhere else, I'm like, what can I use? Because I want, I want some sort of like bitterness, but honestly, a hop aroma or flavor is really not that important to me. Um, not to say that it doesn't play into the beer's character, but you know, these things are sitting in oak for over a year. They're oxidizing, they're changing, they're doing this thing. And, um, you know, um, focus on the malt. You can still make really expensive beer using no hops. <laughs> Just use a lot of European malt because those I, guys know what they're doing. I mean, if I had if I had the sound effects, that'd be the record scratch right there. That'd be the needle across of uh, yeah. It's true. <laughs> hey, thanks thanks for doing this. Thanks for you know. I know you don't do a lot of these, so the fact that you did this one, uh, I I really appreciate and. Um, well, Boy, this is th 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 yeah. this this is exciting. This is this was a lot of fun. Good, good. Well, I'm 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 really pleased that you enjoyed the beers that I sent, and um, you know, I I have never done that before either. So I just thought it would be a good platform to see what people thought. So cool. I'm glad that they resonated with you, and um, I I was uh, humbled that you uh, reached out to me to uh, to do this interview and. It's been You're great to hear my thoughts on what I'm doing in the beer industry and, and most importantly, uh, you know, like taking care Argentinian of Argentinian hops. Yeah. And Argentinian hops and yeah. running and exercise and time away from work. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I know you're still at the brewery, so I'll let you get back to it. Um, thanks again. Yeah. Cheers, John. You can follow the brewery on its Instagram page, and there you can learn more about if and when any additional membership slots will become available. And if you are a member, I hope you'll open up some of those bottles with friends to share the love. And if you're a brewer making a Munich wine, look to the creator and see what's up, and then be sure to let us know how yours came out. Who knows? Maybe this will become a sub-style at competitions, well, just as soon as barley wine and some of the others are unlumped. Anyway, what about you? What do you like about membership clubs? Who's doing small batch beer that you're jazzed about? Let me know. John Hall at BeerEdge.com. That's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L -L at BeerEdge.com. Or you can join the conversation on Twitter at John underscore Hall. And of course, Beer Edge is on social media at The Beer Edge. And if you love smoked beers, and of course you do, a reminder to check out the This Week in Rauk Beer group on Facebook, or you can join the Smoky Beers conversation on Twitter and Instagram at TWRaukBeer. If you're interested in advertising, please reach out to Liz Melby. She's at Liz at BeerEdge.com, and she'll let you know all of the information. And speaking of that, this episode was made possible by the support of Brees, which has been malting barley for 145 years. And the fifth generation of family ownership is currently leading the company. But the values have always remained the same, producing the highest quality, most consistent malt, and working directly with their customers to help them succeed. From Pilsner's to Porter's and everything in between, Brees offers the finest handcrafted malts, extracts, and adjuncts to help you brew the perfect beer. We're also brought to you by Enzy Hops. 
In a little country far down in the Pacific, you'll find a cooperative of master growers whose legend and cultivars have been crafted for over 150 years with creativity and passion to produce some of the world's finest hops. Years of partnerships with dedicated hop breeding programs and farming knowledge handed down through generations sees the current day master growers proudly providing 18 unique New Zealand hop varieties to the world. Visit nzhops.co.nz or find them on Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn at nzhopsltd to learn more. And the best brewmasters are obsessed with creating high-quality, consistent products. And that means reducing mash viscosity for better wort separation and increasing brewhouse efficiency. Ultra Foam X from Novo Enzymes helps you achieve both. It's time to brew with enzymes, increase your brew house efficiency, and achieve faster filtration today with Ultra Flow Max. Order a free sample today at brewingwithenzymes.com slash beeredge. And one last reminder to go to beeredge.com to see all that we have going on and also to check out the Beer Edge podcast hosted by Andy Crouch. Steal this beer? Yeah, it has new episodes every Monday and the BYO Nano podcast comes out on the 15th of every month. Please check those out. And as for this show, well, Nate Schweber, he does the music, and Jeff Quinn designed our logo. I'm John Hall. New episodes of this show release every Wednesday, and that's when I'm going to be back again to drink beer and to think beer.